All right, if we can start making our way back to our seats. I wasn't watching. You're on it? Word is. All right. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open them and turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at verses. Again, hey, just for the record, you probably already know this. You're experiencing it as we speak. Sorry, it's so hot. Man, it's, I don't know if y'all are hot, but I'm hot. Um, the little engine that could is working as hard as he can. So, um, all right, Luke chapter 18. Did I say A or 18? It's 18. We're just going to be looking at three verses tonight, verses 15, 16, and 17. So Luke writes, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for uh, this time. We thank you for all your many blessings. God, we, um, we thank you for your goodness and your graciousness. We thank you for a chance to meet. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have this objective source that we can go to, to um, learn from you, to see the story of your activity uh, in the history of our world. God, to see your saving plan um, played out uh, through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Um, God, to learn who you are, to learn, learn who we are, um, and to learn how we might enter into a relationship with you. Father, we thank you for um, the fact that we have so easy an access to your word, uh, and we thank you for the blessings of it in our lives. God, as we, as we look around our community and our world, God, we continue to pray um, for the, um, uh, the events of, of God, great import that are going on around us in our time. We continue to pray uh, for our Supreme Court and as concerns the um, decisions about uh, the Roe versus Wade um, decision. God, we continue to pray uh, for, God, for uh, wisdom, um, for justice, uh, for truth, and for life to prevail. We pray for the repealing of Roe versus Wade. Knowing, God, that that will not end uh, the scourge of abortion uh, that lays in our country, and yet we we trust that it will be a step in that direction, God, um, and something that that uh, many people throughout our country have prayed for for um, decades, for generations now. Um, God, we pray that we would see an end to that. 
God, we pray for um, God the reality that, that continues to be um, in our country of of uh, violence, particularly um, racially motivated violence. Um, God, we uh, we are made aware. Uh, all the time, uh, that there is true evil in the world, um, that there is true wickedness. Um, those who are willing uh, and and capable of, of taking life um, uh, for no other purpose uh, than, uh, than to see that life taken. God, we pray for justice in these things. Um, we pray for mercy in these things. We pray for healing and comfort for those families affected. Um, God, we pray for uh, peace and unity uh, that would come to our country, uh, that our divisions, um, whether they are uh, racial or socioeconomic or political, God, that you would bring us um, into into agreement and unity. And we recognize that in some ways it, it's hard to see how that could ever take place um, when we are so divided on things and sometimes divided on things that have have serious uh that there doesn't seem to be any middle ground, particularly on an issue like abortion. Um, God, but we continue to pray for your blessing in our country. We pray that you would heal the wounds um, that, that our country is experiencing um, and that you would bring unity. Um, God, let us be a source of that unity. Uh, let us walk and serve and speak in such a way that people recognize that there is only one way um, that our country will ever really experience that unity, and that is the unity that is found uh, and around uh, in and around Jesus Christ. Um, that if we are unified in Jesus Christ, um, that that is the only kind of unity that is uh, ultimately long-lasting, um, God, and he is the only one um, who can can make that um that unity or reality. God, we ask for your blessing in these things. As we open your word, we pray that you would bless us through it, that you would shine a light on it, that you would shine a light on our hearts, that we would see a picture of your goodness and grace to us in these, in these uh, passages that we have already read. Uh, we thank you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we want to look tonight at just these few passages, and I wanted to kind of make a uh, preface this by by making an observation because it's something that I notice in in my own preaching and have noticed it over the course of the last weeks and months. In a gospel text, okay, so we, we could be somewhere else in the scripture. We've been in Luke for a long time now. If we were in one of the epistles, um, the the messages would be different. If we were in maybe a, a law chapter of the Old Testament or something, that the messages would be um, a little bit different. But it I noticed the fact that as we go through the Gospels um, or go through the Gospel of Luke, that a lot of our messages end up being, and this isn't the best term, but I'm just what I'm going to call them is, is their sanctification messages. Okay. So what we find in the passages a lot of times in the narrative sections of the Gospels, okay, is and because if you think about it, this is telling the story of the coming of Jesus Christ, of his ministry leading up to his death and resurrection. And so oftentimes the stories that we are reading. Um, the realities of his completed death and resurrection are not as clear as they would be if we went to the book of Romans or the book of Galatians, where they are looking back at those events and explaining them. We're reading stories that are taking place um, before Jesus' saving work has has acted itself out, right? And so that kind of that's an interesting place to be in in a text because we could just do what 
sometimes you do when you're reading the Bible is you just sort of say, well, here's what it says. And then I'm just going to jump to Jesus, right? I'm just going to jump to um, the gospel and, and the saving work of Jesus. And we're just going to sort of skip almost what we're talking about. But I try not to do that. I try to take the passage for, for what it says. And oftentimes what that ends up being is that we have, when we look at the text, we notice two things. One, what God, how God is calling us to live. And at the same time, basically demonstrating that none of us live up to that standard. All right. And so if you know, know much about sort of um, the idea of the three functions of the law, the way the law works, when we look at these stories, oftentimes on one side, they are showing us that we are sinners, but then they are also saying, but if you have Jesus Christ and the power of the spirit working in your life, this is the standard by which you should live. All right. But, but it's not so much focused in necessarily on specifically the work of Jesus. Okay. Um, and so that's why I say they're, they're sanctification messages. A lot of times we've been in the gospel of Luke and we have seen messages about how a person might live if they were a follower of Jesus Christ. I think this message tonight, though, is a gospel message. All right. Um, it is specifically zooming in, not on, on sanctification per se, but it is zooming in on, uh, how we enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Although admittedly, a little nebulously, right? We still don't see a clear picture in this passage, but we start to understand and get some ideas about, about the gospel. All right. So let me start by saying what this passage is not talking about. Because you hear these verses about let the little children come unto me and, and those kind of passages. We hear those trotted out for all kinds of different reasons. But let me tell you what I, I think this passage is not talking about. Um, one, it is not saying that children are inherently good or righteous. Right? That is not something that we believe. Children are not inherently good or righteous. Uh, they are born sinners. They are, uh, they are sinners when they are born and until they uh, are forgiven of their sins by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, they are, they are trapped in their sin, just like all of us are. It is also not saying that children have somehow received the kingdom of God just by virtue of being children in some way. Okay? That's not, that's not the point here either. Um, I don't think he is commenting on an age in which conscious saving faith is possible either. So sometimes people might look at a passage like this and say, is he trying to tell us when a, a kid might be of the right age to make a personal profession of faith? I don't think that's the case in this passage either. This passage and its corresponding uh, passages in the other gospels um, have a very specific, although like I said, a little bit nebulous purpose. Jesus is saying that there are aspects or, or attributes of childhood that correspond to attributes connected with receiving the kingdom of God. Right? Does that make sense? That there's something about childhood that, that is, a, is a picture of how we receive the kingdom of God. But here's the problem with the text. Jesus then doesn't go on to explain what he means. Did you notice that? He says, if you don't receive the kingdom like a child, then, then you'll never, you, you'll never enter the kingdom. And then you say, okay, Jesus, well, what does it mean to receive the kingdom like a child? And we aren't told that. 
we are left to guess or, or speculate on what it, what characteristic is it that Jesus is referring to? Now, again, admittedly, what that means is as, as we talk about this tonight, we're going to do a little assuming. The things that Jesus is focusing on are not implicit in the text. And so we're just going to have to sort of make some guesses about what he, he is talking about. But I think there's some clues that can give us a little direction in that. We're not just completely lost in the dark. So for one is the context that he says it in. Because remember the passage that we talked about last week about the story of the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee who go to the temple to pray. In that passage, Jesus is dealing with issues that are revolving around ideas like self-righteousness, humility, presumption, grace. And what I would say is it's likely that he is still speaking in those terms in this passage. So that sort of maybe brings the, 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 the huge possibilities of what, what he could be talking about into a little um, smaller frame. Another thing um, I think it's helpful to understand what kind of children he is talking about. What does Jesus mean when he says, talk, uses these words for children? So in this passage, in the Lucan passage, he uses two different words for child. In verse 15, he uses the word brephos, which a brephos is an infant, a newborn kind of baby. In fact, it can even be used of a baby that is still inside the mother's womb, okay? So he uses that terminology in verse 15, but then in 16 and 17, he uses the word paideon, which is the word that basically means a a little kid, okay? Probably a a, a toddler and a little bit above that. So maybe not a school-aged kid yet, but in my head, I'm thinking twos, threes, fours, fives, something like that, all right? Who he is not talking about is preteens. He's not talking about teenagers. He's not using the term generically when he says, let the children come to me and saying, oh, you mean like my 16-year-old. He's not talking about them. Okay? He's talking about little kids. In fact, in the Mark account of this passage, it doesn't even use the word brephos. It doesn't even talk about infants. It only uses the language of paideon, little, little kids. All right? So maybe that's another piece that kind of helps us Zoom in a little bit on what we're talking about here. And then a third thing is this, is notice what it actually says. It says, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. So what we're really asking is how, what is the corresponding thing between childhood and faith that has to do with the way we receive the kingdom? Does that make sense? We're not just talking about faith in general. We're not just talking about following Jesus in general or something like that. We're talking about specifically the way we receive the kingdom. So something that represents maybe a way that little kids receive in a different way than the way maybe an adult or a teenager would receive. All right, so that's kind of zooms in on, um, it gives us maybe a little uh, smaller frame of reference. And so the way I'm going to work through this thing is I'm going to ask some sort of rhetorical questions 
to reflect on the way that a child, a little kid, receives things and how that might be connected to the way we ought to as as conscious, believing adults receive the kingdom of God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask sort of a rhetorical question and then make a, make a point around it, okay? And so the first thing is this. We're going to talk about how children recognize their need. Children recognize their need. And the question that I would ask you is this. As an adult, how old were you when you learned that asking for help was a sign of weakness? How old were you when you learned that asking for help was a sign of weakness? So a lot of y'all are in the phase where you've got maybe two kids under five or three kids under seven or something like that. It's not been a super long time since Christy and I were in that position. And we certainly remember what it was like to be that in that position. And this is something that we recognize and you recognize too. Kids need a lot right? They need a lot all the time. They need to be fed and clothed and teeth brushed and hair combed and rear ends wiped. And they need help getting into cars and they need help getting out of cars and they need help getting their shoes on. And then all of a sudden the shoes are off again for some reason and you've got to get the shoes back on them. They need help in basically everything all the time. And you know they need help all the time, or at least you do when they get to be Pideon age, because you start hearing this all the time. Mommy, will you? Daddy, can you? Always, forever, asking for things to be done for them. We know that little kids need lots, and they know they need lots. Reality is, is man, I'm a grown man. And, and the truth is, I don't need a whole lot of help on lots of things. You guys have, uh, some of your wives have, have spoken to Christy and, and guys, you may not have realized this, but they, but your wives keep on offering your building help to me through your wives. Um, like, so we're renovating a house and we've got lots of projects. And so people are always coming to Christy saying, how come, Ash doesn't ask our husbands to come to the house and help him with more projects or whatever, right? And you're probably like, what the heck? Why am I, why? you know? Um, you, you, so you can talk to them about that after. But the reason is, is this, because I'm fairly capable. I don't really need help for most things. Sometimes I get into a project that needs an extra hand or something. But most of the time, I just figure I'm going to let those people do have their weekend. I'm not going to ruin it by having them have to come over here and do the stuff with me. I'm just going to let them live their life because I'm capable of doing most of these things on my own. But children realize they are not. They realize they are unable. They have an inability to do many things in their lives. And they're willing to just ask for help. They're willing to just recognize that they can't do something and they need somebody to help them do that. Again, as an adult, I'm pretty much capable of doing most things. I'm pretty self-sufficient, at least when it comes to things of this world. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, I am completely helpless. I am completely unable to acquire 
to attain to, to receive the kingdom of God on my own. When it comes to the kingdom of God, I am just like that three-year-old child who has no other recourse than to call out to my father and say, I need your help. I need you to do this for me because I am unable to do it on my own. I kind of use this story on, off and on because it, it made an imprint in my head when I was a teenager. I remember seeing an interview with Ted Turner. Uh, you know, the, the media mogul who owned the TBS and all those different stations. And somebody was talking to him about Christianity and asking if he had been saved. And Ted Turner made the comment and it sort of got a little traction and was famous. And he said, saved? I don't need to be saved from anything. Because as far as Ted Turner was concerned, he was a master of his own domain. domain. He could do anything he wanted to. He had the money and the power and the status and everything. He was a capable person. He didn't need to be saved by anything. His life was fine how it is. But sorry, Ted, you do need to be saved. You are incapable, in fact. It is impossible for you to save yourself. The only thing you can say is, Daddy, will you come and help me? No pride, no self-sufficiency. I have a need, and my Heavenly Father can fix that. So again, the question is this, how old were you when you learned that asking for help was a sign of weakness? Because children don't receive the kingdom like that. They know they are weak and they ask for help. Two, another thing that we see, or another thing that I have seen in my kids and other people's kids. Another thing is, is little kids recognize they don't have a claim on anything. So here's what I mean by that. Let me ask the rhetorical question first. When did you learn that you get what you deserve and you deserve what you work for? When did you learn that you only get what you deserve and you only deserve what you work for? Because here's the deal. Little kids, in my experience, do not try to convince you when they want something. Eventually they get to that. There's a point where somehow in their brain, they begin to learn how to bargain. And so they start saying things in a different way. But when they are little, when they want something, they don't try to explain why they deserve it. They don't try to explain how their actions and their behaviors have merited that gift. Right. Teens do that. Teenagers come to you and they say, Dad, you should really let me go on this trip or have this car or whatever, because I'm a really good kid and I've done all the right things. And, you know, all those other kids are out there doing drugs and I don't do those kind of things. And I'm home at nine o'clock every night. I'm a good kid. And so you should do this thing for me because I've earned it in some way. Little kids don't typically do that. They say, I want that. Can I have that? And then the parent either says yes or no. And if they say yes, they're excited. If they say no, they fly into a tantrum half the time. But they don't sit there and say, what an unjust world we live in because I've been so good and I've been so faithful and I've done everything right and you won't give me what I've earned. They don't do that. They say, I want that. Give it to me. And we either do or we don't. We often joke about people seeing God as a Santa Claus. And we're probably more right than we realize, because what does Santa do? He sees you when you're sleeping. 
He knows when you're awake. He's making a list of how good you are and checking it twice. Right? The idea there is that we are always performing in some way so that we can be on the good list. So that on the day that we want what we want, we can go to God and say, I've earned this. I'm des- I deserve this. You owe it to me. I've done my part, God. Now you do your part and give me what I want. That's basically what the Pharisees' problem was last week, if you were here with us. I've practiced all these virtues, God. I've abstained from all these vices. And in a sense, you owe me. But the reality is, is this. We can't earn our way into the kingdom. There is nothing that we could do that would be valuable enough that we would ever warrant or merit, or be owed anything by God. I have no bargain to make. I have no payment to offer. I have no wage to demand from God. Or as a theologian kind of poetically put it, I cannot pay for grace that's free, nor add to work that is complete. All I can do is say, I want it. Will you give me that, God? Will you give me the kingdom? I'll receive it. Isaiah, the passage that I, again, another passage that I come back to over and over again. He's giving us a picture of God's mercy. And he says, if you're thirsty for it, if you're thirsty for the mercy of God, then come down to the water and drink. But come without money. And come without price. Don't come trying to offer anything for it. And don't come saying, I'll only take it if. And put a price on it for God. Come and receive freely. Because God has offered freely. So again, when did you learn that you get what you deserve? And you deserve what you work for? And then the last piece is this. And again, like I said, Jesus may have much more in mind. He may have all kinds of things that, that I have not thought about and that, and that are in the mind of Christ. In fact, I'm sure he does. But maybe one other way that children receive and that maybe adults don't or tend not to is that children are always eager to receive a gift. They're eager. To receive a gift. So let me ask you the rhetorical question. When did you learn that there's no such thing as a free lunch? When did you learn that if it looks too good to be true, it probably is? Because here's the deal. Kids have no qualms about receiving a gift. No sense of propriety. Right? No shame. No awkwardness. They love receiving a gift. And so have you ever watched a kid in one of two places? Have you ever seen a kid at a pinata? Or have you ever seen a kid at an Easter egg hunt? So James, this last week, ended up on the wrong side of a pinata. Um, He ran in and did exactly what kids always do. 
the second that thing busted open, they dive bombed, right? With, they go wild. Something overtakes kids when a pinata busts, okay? Something primal happens within them, like Viking berserker rage, just like, right? And they are like blood in the water when sharks are around or something like that, right? Um, they dive in and it's a free-for-all. And there is no sense that I mean, kids are grasping for candy and they're snatching it out of other kids' hands. And there is no thought, even for what they like, right? They're grabbing stuff they don't like. They are pulling it in, uh, making no allowance for other people's feelings or how much candy they have or sharing or anything like that. Just take it all. Unashamed, unrestricted, right? This bounty is before them and they're just like, Man, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it all. Again, something similar happens at Easter egg hunts, which is hilarious because they're Easter egg hunts. It's like it's we're celebrating the resurrection and the kids are just like ah, elbowing kids and looking for those eggs and piling their baskets full. And I've watched kids before, like there'll be a kid and they'll lay the basket down and they're putting eggs in their basket. And there's a kid standing behind them, just taking them out of the basket as they go. Like they don't even care. OK, now here's the deal. You might say to me, Ash, I have always thought as a parent that those are all illustrations of sin, okay? That those are pictures of the inherent sin nature in my child, how they are greedy and self-interested, and there's this disregard for other people. And here's the deal. It probably is, okay, at a level, right? It's, it's, it's mingled with that. But here's something I would suggest to you. Maybe that's also an illustration of grace and how we're supposed to receive grace, Again, children have no qualms about receiving a gift. No embarrassment. They don't think about the fact that they really don't deserve this, or that's a little too much, or this isn't really proper in some way. Like, have you ever been with your kid when somebody out of just this act of generosity offered them something that was way too nice for them, (laughs) okay? Or way too expensive or whatever, and like they're like, hey, little kid, would you like this Fabergé egg? And your kid's like, yes. And then you're like, no, 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 no. We, we can't accept that. We can't possibly accept something that nice, right? Um, because my kid doesn't deserve it um, or whatever. But kids don't have that. They just take it. They just receive it. Do you find it hard to receive a gift? I do. I hate receiving gifts, right? It's so awkward. It's the most awkward thing. It's part of the reason why I hate receiving compliments. I don't like people complimenting me either. Just it feels because I know me. I know I'm not worthy of that compliment. I probably told you this story before. When I left for seminary, Mother Church, Pleasant Grove, uh, Greg pulled me aside one Wednesday night or something. And he said, hey, we would like to financially help you as you go off to seminary. And I said to him, thank you, but I would prefer not to take your help. Now, part of that may have been pride within myself, um, a desire to do it on my own and, and earn it for myself or whatever like that. That may have been part of it. I don't think that was the main concern. The real main concern was a combination of fear of failure combined with the fact that I would now be in their debt in some way. And I didn't want to feel that. I had gone to orientation and they had done this little 
gimmick, which I don't know why they do it, but it, it certainly didn't help me, is we're all sitting there in orientation and they said, hey, everybody, look to your left. Everybody looked to their left and they said, one of the two of you won't make it through seminary. You'll drop out before the end. And then they said, now look to your right. Everybody looked to the right and they said, one of the two of you will never serve in vocational ministry. And so what I did in my head and heart is I said, I am definitely not in the top third of these people, right? I'm not in the top third of sharpest dudes. So odds are I'm going to end up in one of those first two categories. And so when Greg said, hey, we would like to help you, I said, man, I'm afraid I know how this thing is going to end. And so I would just rather do it on my own. That way I won't be letting anybody down. Um, I don't want you guys to invest in me and then to me um, not live up to something. So, so here's the deal. Some people would hear that story and they might think there was something admirable. In it. They would say, good for you, man. You, 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 you wanted to do it yourself. You didn't want to put that burden on anybody else um, or whatever. But the reality is this. I could have used the help. Um, we could have used the help in those early years. Um, looking back, and I was sharing with somebody, I think maybe it was you guys, the curse or something. We were talking about the fact that Christy will set, talk about the fact that, man, you were just a happy-go-lucky guy before we got married. The second we got married, you just got a lot more tense. And we've sort of talked about it. And the reality is, is it was the situation that we found ourselves in. All of a sudden, I was working uh, two or three jobs and going to school. I was sleeping in like three or four hour segments, two or three times a day. Like I would go to work at 2 a.m. and work till 8 and come home and sleep for three hours and go to school and then come home and sleep for three hours and then go to another job and work for five hours and come home and sleep for three hours. And it was just a it was a bad deal. It messed up my, you know, everything. Right. All that to say, I could have used the help. It would have been great if I could have just said, yeah, I'll take your help. I'll receive that gift. But instead, I put strain on my marriage, my new marriage. that shouldn't have been there. Moreover, there were people in my church that wanted to help. They wanted to bless. They wanted to give me something. And so I robbed them of that because I said, I'm unwilling to receive your help. So why? Well, again, going back through everything we said, how old were you when you learned that asking for help was a sign of weakness? Or when did you learn that you get what you deserve and you deserve what you work for? When did you learn that there's no such thing as a free lunch? And when did you learn that if it looks too good to be true, it probably is? Now, notice something. All of those principles that we just said are actually good in some ways. They're necessary in some ways for the way the world works. They're necessary for daily life. The Bible even supports some of those concepts in certain ways. Um, you need to learn to do things for yourself, right? You need to work for things and put energy and effort into them instead of just expecting a handout. Um, you should be skeptical of free gifts in a certain way. Right, Because they do sometimes come with strings. The Bible warns against borrowing money. Paul talks about the fact that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. There's certainly a reward in the scriptures for godliness and, and, and effort and things like that. Okay, But here's the deal. 
Jesus is showing us through the perception of a child, through the way that a child receives, he is showing us the radical difference between the way the gospel works and the way the world works. Okay? There is a radical difference by the way we receive the gospel and enter into the kingdom of God and the way we go about daily life in terms of work and, and business and, and effort and, and things like that. The world works a certain way, right? The farmer who does plow and plant and weed and water and work, he's not going to have a crop. Okay, we know that. That's just what's going to happen. The office worker who doesn't... um promote himself in some way, right? Express his value to the company. Um, try to get raises, try to get promotions or whatever. Oftentimes will be ignored because he's not putting himself out there in some way. Or how about the neighbor who is always mooching off your good graces will eventually exasperate those people who are closest to him, right? That's, that's, that's what's going to happen. And the Bible warns us about all of those things in different places. But all of this is to say that the kingdom of God and the gospel is different. It doesn't work by these same principles. The gospel says receive. The world says do, work, accomplish. The Bible says it has already been accomplished. Just receive it. That's the grace of the gospel. And honestly, it's the offense of the gospel too. If you have a hard time with any of those things that I just said about in the, in this world, if you have a hard time receiving a gift, if you have a hard time asking for help, if you have a hard time um, getting something that, that for free that you, don't, that you didn't feel like you earned, there are many people who, when they come to the gospel, they say, I don't buy this. The fact that Jesus would die for me and offer salvation to me free that I don't have to do anything except receive it, that seems like a bunch of nonsense to me. That's not the way the world works. Instead, I'm going to be a really good person, and I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to be moral, I'm going to do good things, and at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to owe me something because I did it right. That's the offense of the gospel. The offense of the gospel is, nope, you were completely unable to do anything to receive a kingdom. No amount of goodness, no amount of right causes, no amount of philanthropy, no amount of giving, no amount of wisdom, no amount of learning, no amount of obedience, no amount of diligence could ever get you one step closer to knowing and receiving the kingdom of God. It is a free gift and you just have to accept it. And what I think Jesus is maybe getting at is Little kids get that. They get that that's how you receive something. They get that they are weak. They get that they are helpless. They get that they are incapable. They know it. And so they receive the way we should receive the kingdom. So what I want to do is is just go to the Lord in a time of prayer. Um, again, I don't know where you're at personally. Maybe you were here in this room and you're thinking, the gospel that I have believed my whole life has honestly not been a gospel of receiving. It's been a gospel of me living up to some sort of standard that is out there. 
if that is the case, then I would love to talk to you after we're done here. Talk to you about how you can receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ has merited. Jesus Christ has accomplished. Jesus Christ has worked for. Jesus Christ has won for us. Jesus has done everything necessary. He is the one who has done it. We are the ones who receive it. And if that's a message that you do know and have received, then maybe just we spend some time in prayer thanking God for his grace to us and praying that other people in this room who don't know that truth would know the free grace that Jesus offered. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll leave it up to God to minister to to each heart um, how he's going to. And let's thank him for his grace. So Matt, if I hit her brother or her, we're doing we're doing this little air. Father God, your grace to us is truly amazing. God, the entire way of the world is to clean up our lives, to figure out a way um, to become worthy of your kingdom before we come to it. And yet all the worthiness that we need has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ. that he has fought the fight, that he has kept the faith, that he has finished the race, God, that he has done everything that was necessary. And now in him, he offers us the free gift of salvation by acknowledging our own weakness and turning to Christ alone for salvation. God, we thank you for that unmerited grace. God, we ask that you would help us if we have not believed that message, if we have not received it, um, that you would help us to, God, find the attitude, the heart of a child, that we would receive those things the same way a child receives. That God, in so doing, that we would know um, the glory and the beauty of the salvation that Jesus has wrought, God, and that we would enter into your kingdom. God, that we would, as we go from this place, if we have believed in your message, if we have received the gospel already, that as we go to the world, that we would not demand any more from them. That we would not say to them, as we try to share Jesus Christ with them, you must live up to something first before you come to Christ. No, let us just offer Christ to them. And God, we will let you do the sanctifying work of conforming their lives to the image of Jesus. God, help us to faithfully present the message of the kingdom to people. Help us to offer it as a free gift of your grace. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song.
Amen. You can have a seat for just a second. Um, we're going to do something a little bit special tonight. So as you probably realize, we are in um, graduation season. And um, so we wanted to take a moment and recognize our graduates um, and just give them a little gift to, to encourage them um, as they kind of step out into this next uh, uh, era of, of their lives. Um, and, and just for one, to have them up here so that you can kind of see their face and, and get a picture of them in their head so that you'll be praying for them, um, I hope is the case. Because here's a reality. Uh, it has always been hard to be a, a teenager stepping into college or workforce or adulthood or whatever. It's always been hard. But we live in a bonkers world right now. We live in a bizarre time where people have lost their minds. Um, and, and that makes it all the more incumbent upon us as, as those in the church, um, to pray for these young people, um, to, to ask God's protection and provision for them as they, as they step out into schools, um, and, and workplaces that will oftentimes be, be hostile in many ways to the faith, um, certainly not encouraging, um, of the faith. And, uh, they're going to have to stand their ground in those places and they are going to have to be people uh, of, of spiritual strength um, and also people who are, are there to be lights in the darkness. Um, and that's a lot to ask of an 18 year old. So, um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to call out their names and we'll have each of our, uh, the, the graduates come up. If you guys would kind of just stand here to the side, like I said, um, we'll just recognize you for a minute. And, and I want to give you a little gift. You're lucky. Because until about two hours ago, you were going to get two books and a kitten. Um, and so, but, but we, we got rid of all the kittens today. And so we are kitten free and you don't get a kitten. Uh, but you were that close. So, um, but as I call your name, if you just come up and, and I'll, uh, we'll give you a, a, a little gift and, and then if you'll just kind of remain up on stage for just a second. So first off is, is one of our, um, young people, um, who, uh, a lot of you probably haven't seen because um, the way she has been most connected to our church is by serving um, next door in our children's ministry. And so, Annie Rader, if you would please come up. Amelia Richardson. Just shake your hand. There you go. Congratulations. And Kai Wigington. Um, also, Katie Kirst. Uh, so, Katie, come on up. I have a book for you, and I didn't bring it in. It's sitting out in my car. Um, but Katie did not graduate from high school, but she just graduated from... Yeah, what school? That's what I meant. Tennessee Wesleyan. Tennessee Wesleyan. I, Ryan told me already and I forgot, but she's in uh, neurological tech stuff, nursing, right? Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I'm, I'm obviously I don't know what I'm supposed to know. So, but anyway, wanted to congratulate you too. I've got a gift for you. I'll bring it from my car. So. Congratulations, guys. I know it's uh, some of you guys I've gotten to spend a lot more time with than others. Um, uh, 
I've gotten to be a part of your education over the years. And so that's been really cool. But, but we are praying for you. Um, get a look at them. Um, say congratulations as we're walking out today and that you will be praying for them. Um, and let me do that. Let me close our services by doing that and just asking God's blessing on them uh, together. And, and then we'll be dismissed. Okay. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we pray for uh, these young people. Um, God, we ask for your protection over them. God, we pray, uh, and I've, I've, I've prayed this um, already. I pray this prayer for uh, my own children. Um, but God, we specifically uh, would ask for four things. God, we ask that you would make these young people people of faith, that in everything that they do, that they would have Jesus Christ um, at the center. God, we pray that you would make them people of virtue, that as we they step out into a world where there are seemingly no absolutes um, and that people are, are making up their lives as they go along, God, we pray that you would help them to stand on the rock-solid foundation of, of your word, that they would live in light of your character and your gospel. God, we ask that you would give them um, a passion as they begin to discover their own vocational and educational callings, God, that you would give them something that they are passionate about, that they can connect to, that they um, love doing, and through which they can serve their, their community and their fellow man. Um, and God, lastly, we ask for you to give them belonging. Uh, wherever they end up going, if it is a way to college, if, if they stay here in the community, God, that they would find a, a group of people um, that they can connect to, that they can um, be held accountable to, that will be encouragers, people that will confront them when they need to um, and, and share life with them. Um, God, that you would give them a church um, and, and as they go away to school um, where they can they, they can be a part um, of a congregation and sit under the teaching of God's word. And God, the reality is, is that we pray that um, possibly over the next few years that you would lead somebody to them who um, they will end up marrying um, and that that person will um, be the person they spend the rest of their lives with. God, if that is in your will, then we ask your your blessing and, and direction in those ways, too. But those three, those four things, God, um, we ask that they would be people of faith, people of virtue, virtue um, that they would have a passion and they would have a belonging uh, wherever they, they end up. Um, thank you. God, watch over and protect them and bless them in everything that they do. Uh, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. That's good. <laughs> Hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.